0: All right, well, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Matthew 28 and stand with me this morning as we read about the resurrection of our Christ. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay." Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Father, we come to you today in the name of our Christ, who is with us always to the end of the age, because he is no longer in the tomb. Death no longer has dominion over him. And because of that, it has no dominion over us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right so so that's that's one uh, of the accounts of the resurrection the the others you can find if you're just wanting to read through those today you can go to John 20 like we read uh, earlier you can go to Mark 16 Luke 24 on Sunday morning, the, the, the third day of, of Jesus' death, Jesus' tomb is empty. This is what's going on, but, but he hasn't been stolen. He hasn't been stolen uh, by the soldiers. He hasn't been removed by the Jews. He hasn't been stolen by a gardener uh, or by his disciples. Jesus' body has been removed by himself. The stone rolled away, the grave clothes left behind, and, and the grave left behind with them. Jesus is alive again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Well, what does that matter, right? What should we do with those facts? What should we do with the resurrection? Why is the resurrection important to us today? Why do we have celebrations like Resurrection Sunday, Easter? Why do we do that? What what is the importance of those days? What should we think about the resurrection? What should we think about what it teaches us about our life and the life to come? Here we've got a day where we celebrate that Jesus was raised from the dead. But why do we celebrate that? Why do we celebrate that Christ has arisen? What makes Jesus' resurrection so special, not just to his disciples and certainly not just to him, but to all of us? Is it just that it's a miracle? Is it just the miraculous nature of what an, it's an amazing story? Are we just sort of contemplating today how crazy it is that the tomb is empty? Wow, that's the most amazing story of stories. The tomb is empty. Why is this day so important? Christ is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. And this day is monumental. But why does that matter? Why has this day and that resurrection shaped everything about Christianity, even shaping the day that Christians worshiped? It it, it affected not just one day of their year, it affected every day. The events of of Easter morning, so important that we moved Christian work. Christians quit worshiping on, on Saturday, started to worship on the Lord's Day, on those Sunday mornings. Why? Why does this day, why does Sunday of all days become known as the Lord's Day? Because that's the day Christ rose from the dead. Why is that day so important, and how is that day still important to you and to me? How beyond just the miraculous nature of it, what does the resurrection mean for us, and why should we be elated that Christ is no longer in the grave? Why? Well, the Bible is actually going to tell us. Let's see what the Bible tells us about why it's so important, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 is going to be the, one of the most longest and detailed explanations of why the resurrection is important, why it matters, and what it means for our Christian faith. So let's look at why the resurrection is important, why the resurrection matters today. The first thing we're going to see that he's going to lay out to us uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 is that is the resurrection proves that the Bible is real. Okay. The resurrection proves that the Bible is real, that it is true, that we know that the Bible is God breathed, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We know that it, w- it was made as godly men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter chapter 1. So that it is a trustworthy word without error. But how do we know that? How do we know that the Bible really is this trustworthy word without error? Well, one of the things that, that the resurrection does is it confirms the truthfulness of Scripture. It confirms the truthfulness of what God said in the Bible, that the Bible said that the Messiah would suffer and die, and the Bible also said that he would rise from the grave. So that when that happened, when the Bible is able to declare a supernatural event unlike any other and do so centuries, even a millennia, before that event takes place, it makes you say, hey... Maybe the Bible really is the Word of God. Maybe when we say the Bible is God-breathed, we're not just saying, you know, something that we want to be true, but something that has been proven to be true. The Bible is, in fact, the inerrant, real Word of God. And Paul says the resurrection does exactly that thing by showing us what the Bible said would happen happens. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, Paul, Paul is arguing here, that if there's someone who denies the resurrection event, that they are denying not just the resurrection. Paul says they're denying all of Scripture. They're denying the gospel. They're denying what Scripture has said would happen. Why? Because the Bible said what that he would be, uh, he would he would die for our sins in accordance to the Scripture. That he was buried and that he would be raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And so to deny the resurrection is to deny the validity of Scripture itself. And so we see the early church then picking this up. The early church gets this. The first first evangelists, the apostles, they understand what the resurrection is doing and how that ties to the truthfulness of Scripture. So the the early church will use the resurrection to preach the gospel. They're able to say, hey, Jesus isn't in the grave anymore, and that's exactly what the Bible said would happen. So look, for example, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we've got Peter preaching here. It says down in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died And of that we are all witnesses. So here you've got David. David, who Peter says, foresaw the events of the resurrection. I mean, a thousand. I mean, David's writing a thousand years before the resurrection ever takes place. He foresees not just the events of Christ, he sees the foresees the resurrection of Christ. Uh, this he's he's quoting psalm 16 here he sees the resurrection of christ writes about it in psalm 16 and jesus in the fulfillment of exactly what the bible said would happen exactly what the bible you've got the most miraculous event in human history and the writers are able to say yeah that shows this this is a circular thing here this is showing that jesus resurrection is real but it's also showing jesus resurrection is showing that the bible is real the bible is true you got a guy writing about this a thousand years before it takes place Acts chapter 13, they do the same thing, 32 through 37. And we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son today, I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption." Here, Paul is saying, so the first one is Peter. This is Paul now saying, the resurrection is part of the good news, the gospel that God promised to our fathers in the Old Testament. So he quotes from Psalm 2, he quotes from Isaiah 55, he quotes from Psalm 16 to show this is exactly what our Bibles, that we've been trusting. And go back to Titus and think of how he talks about uh, the the trustworthy word, uh, Titus chapter 1, he talks about the trustworthy word of God. One of the reasons we can know that the Bible is trustworthy is long before the resurrection day, the scriptures have been telling us, "Hey, the Christ is going to come, and He will be raised from the dead." Right? And if the Bible had not kept that promise, we—if w- Jesus were still in the tomb, we'd be looking at the scriptures kind of slant eyed right? Kind of having to go, "Well, see, maybe it's a—it's like a spiritual resurrection." You know, He's you still got—you know—they go to the tomb, and He's still in there, and the grave does stinketh, uh, and they're like, "But maybe, maybe spiritually." He's not, this is going to be a problem for us. Uh, But we don't have to do that. The the tomb is empty. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not there. The angel is like, yeah, come look. This is exactly what he said he would do. This is exactly what the scripture said he would do. Come, look at the clothes. We got nothing to hide. And he goes, go, tell your brothers he's coming to see them. He's going to show them that he has risen from the dead. Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 23, Paul Defending himself before Agrippa. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both the small and great, saying nothing, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Paul is saying, look, I'm not teaching anything new. I'm not teaching some new faith. I'm not teaching some, I didn't get a new word from the Lord today. I'm teaching you an old word. I'm teaching you what God has always said, that that this is what would happen to the Christ. This is not some new faith. This is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. This is the fulfillment of the faith of our fathers. This is what Abraham was looking for and hoping for. This is what David foresaw. This is what Moses talked about. This is exactly what the Bible has been saying and has been saying would happen and it happened. Rather than being upset, Jewish fellow friends we should be elated. We should be excited. We should be rejoicing that the Christ is here and that the scriptures are true. Everything we've been hoping in, everything we've been quoting to ourselves and singing every year as we go up to Jerusalem and then coming back and saying, next year in Jerusalem, this is the year in Jerusalem, just as scripture said. And so Easter morning is not just a, it's not just a, a stamp on our faith. It's a stamp on the book. That proclaims our faith. The resurrection. This is, if we've been reading our Bibles. Matthew 28. John 20. These things, are, these things are not. It's not in a surprise twist at the end of the Gospels. <gasps> and, he, and the tomb was empty. What? I mean if you've been reading your Bibles. We would know that that's exactly what was supposed to happen. It's what God said was going to happen. Long before that Sunday morning. Proving to us again that the Bible is not just some ancient book. It it is the very word of God. And the resurrection proclaims that to us. This resurrection day and the truthfulness of those events show us that the Bibles that we hold and that we read or that we don't read to our shame is truly the word of our sovereign God who has the power of life and death. So one of the reasons we rejoice in this day, one of the reasons we celebrate the resurrection is it shows us that the Bible is indeed truly the word of God. But that's not all that the resurrection does. The other thing the Bible tells us that the resurrection does is it proves our faith in Christ. That we are right to believe in Christ as our Savior. So we know that Jesus, what did you say? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, how do we know that we should believe him when he says that? How do we know? The answer: the resurrection. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ as is proclaimed as raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. Which means that Christ, if Christ has been raised from the dead, then your faith is not worthless because he has been raised. If if Christ were still in the tomb, your faith would be worthless. But since he's not in the tomb, that means that your faith is not worthless. It is actually the resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the work of Christ so that we're not trusting in Jesus. And then we get to heaven and God's going to go, Jesus, you thought that was how you got to me? What made you think? Well, he said he's the way, the truth and the life. Oh, and you believed him? Why do we know that when we meet the Father, that he will declare, yes, that is indeed my son, because he's in, declared that in the resurrection. It says this in the next verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 15. If Christ is not raised, then we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So here Paul says, it's part of the gospel that God raised Christ from the dead. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, If if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe not just that the resurrection happened. But that the resurrection was the work of the Father. That the resurrection was the Father showing, this is truly my Son. This is truly the Christ. Everything He said, you can, if you, you can. This message is all over the New Testament. I'll throw some out here. You can get them later. Acts 2, 24, 2, 32, 3, 15, 4, 10, 10, 40, 13, 30, 13, 33, 34, 37, 17, 31, Romans 4, 24, Romans 6, 4, 8, 11, 10, 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 2 Corinthians 4, 14, Galatians 1, 1, Ephesians 1, 20, Colossians 2, 12, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, Hebrews 13, 20, 1 Peter 1, 21. All of those saying what? God raised Christ from the dead to show that he was indeed the Messiah. God showing us in this day, this is my son, have faith in him. Now, why? Why does the Bible spend so much of that time talking about how God raised Christ? Because God raising Christ shows us that God approved of Christ's life and Christ's message. It proves that Jesus was all that he said he was. If Jesus was not the way, the truth, and the life, then he would still be in the tomb for lying, right? If Jesus was not the only way to the only way to the father, he would still be dead. So how does God show us that Jesus is indeed the only way to him? God raises him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. Why did God do that? To show us that, our, that, that Christ is indeed uh, the Messiah, but also to show us that our faith in him is right. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. Because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. So we know God's judgment is coming. There comes a day when God will judge the world in righteousness. How? By a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all. So Christ is going to judge the world by what they do with one man, with that man. How does, how does God show that? How does he give assurance of this to the whole world? You're going to be judged by what you do with Christ. He says what? He gives us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The fate of the whole world is based on what they do with one man. What they do with Jesus Christ. Either they believe in him, they have faith in him, or they have faith in something else, or faith in themselves. The resurrection is God telling the world, what you do with Jesus is the only thing that matters. You will be judged, not by the goodness of your life, not by the goodness of your parents' life, not by the goodness of the church you reside in. You will be judged by one man, Jesus Christ. Well, how do you know? God raised him from the dead to tell you that, to show you that this day, this resurrection day, yes, it is causing us to rejoice in our faith, but it's also showing us you better have faith in Christ. This doesn't matter how good you are. You ain't getting out of the tomb because of you. You ain't missing the day of judgment because of you. You will be judged by what you do with one man. And God has shown that to you how? By raising him from the dead. So you can't go back. I mean, especially today. None of us can go back and go, well, I didn't know that. God's like, well, I told you in the Bible. You read it. You heard it. And you even celebrated that day. Remember, you would celebrate that day. The day that I told you, this is why I raised him from the dead so that you would know that we're going to be judged by what we do with that man, what we do with him. And that's so important because so many people in this world, so many of us, we think that we're going to be judged by our goodness. We're going to be judged by the good things we do or, or, or even thinking, well, maybe I'll do enough good things to overcome the bad things that I've done. you'll be judged by whether or not your faith is in Christ. Judgment comes by what you do with one man, what you do with Jesus, whether you believe in him as your savior or you're trusting in yourself to save yourself or you're thinking that judgment isn't coming, All these, any other option other than my only hope is Jesus Christ and his death on my behalf. That's your only hope. That's what you'll be judged by. Well, how do you know that? This day. This day is the day that shows us that. Romans chapter one, verses three and four says, his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our lord the resurrection is a declaration with power that Jesus is indeed the messiah that he is the christ the son of god 1st peter chapter 1 verse 20 and 21 he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ, it says, was raised for our sakes. Remember, in, in, in First Peter here, I mean, these aren't people who were at the resurrection. These aren't people who were at the empty tomb. These are people who are hearing about the gospel and Peter saying to them, he was raised for our sake, manifest in the last times. God is revealing this to us. Why? So that we might know that our faith and our hope aren't made up, that it is not just some opiate of the masses for us to believe in Jesus Christ as our savior. That God has proven with power, a power none other can imagine, has proven with power, has declared to us, has done this for us so that we might know when we lay our heads on our pillows or when we're singing our psalms on, on Sunday morning, we might know we're not just singing to the air. And we're not just hoping in nothing. How do we know that? Because God raised Christ from the dead to prove to us our faith, to prove to us who Christ was. This morning is God's way of saying, our faith is in the right person, if our faith is in Christ. So the resurrection proves that the Bible is real. It proves our faith in Christ uh, is, is true and right. It confirms not just just Christ but His work. Next thing is, it proves our sins are truly forgiven. So it doesn't just prove who Christ is. It proves that what he did really worked. It doesn't just prove that Jesus is who he says he was. It proves that what he said he came to do, he actually did. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. So so just as as 14 through 15 warned us that without the resurrection, we're wrong about our faith and wrong about God. In verse 17, he's going to tell us that without the resurrection, we're wrong about our sin being forgiven. Without the resurrection... Our sins are not forgiven. So 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. We already saw that, but it's not because Christ has risen from the dead and that proves our faith. We saw that from Romans and Acts. But not only is your faith futile if Christ is still in the tomb, you are still in your sins if Christ is not raised from the dead. How can he say that? Because the resurrection demonstrates that our sins are forgiven. If you Remember back to Acts 26 and Acts uh, 26, uh, 16, uh, 23, and then 16 through 18. You got Paul before Agrippa. And he says that he's only been saying what the prophets and Moses said. Remember that part? Well, he proved to Agrippa by quoting to him what Jesus told him when he was saved. It's is, it is it's the words of Christ here that are going to help us understand what Paul is talking about look at look at verses 14 through 18 of Acts 26 he's going to talk about what Jesus says to him when he when uh Jesus uh, is saving him it says when we had fallen all to the ground I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language Saul Saul why are you persecuting me it is hard for you to kick against the goads and I said who are you and the Lord said I'm Jesus who you're persecuting But rise and stand on your feet for I've appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So the the, the promise of light that he talks about is this promise of hope. But what is that hope specifically? The hope that, that Christ is telling Paul about is the hope of the forgiveness of sins. And Paul said, it's the resurrection that gave birth to that hope. Acts 26, 23, look at it. By being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light. Well, what light is he talking about? If we just read Acts 26, 23, we just think just light in general. No, it's the light that he just talked about in the previous verse. The light of the forgiveness of sins, both to our people and to the Gentiles. It is the rising from the dead. It's in doing that that Christ proclaims the light, the hope that our sins can be forgiven. If Christ does not rise from the dead, then we do not have the light, the hope that your and my sins can ever be forgiven. It's through the resurrection that we get the, that hope that the dawn breaks and, and darkness is not anymore what sort of overcomes us. How do we know that our sins have truly been paid for and we're not going to go to God and find out I've still got all of this debt, all of this infinite debt? The Bible says the resurrection. The resurrection is what shows you that your sins can be forgiven by him. That he does have the power to forgive sins. That that hope is there. This thought of the resurrection being this marker of forgiveness. So it's going to be so foundational that when Paul explained the gospel in, in Romans 4.25. He would say that Christ was, 4.25, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We're justified. Our our sins are forgiven. We're made righteous. How? By the resurrection. Peter ties the resurrection to our forgiveness in the work of baptism. First Peter chapter three, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds to, he's been talking about Noah's Ark, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, so, so, baptism, which, which is of course meant to, to mimic the resurrection, that the, the going under the waters, like being buried, which is why I always tell people. I'm going to hold you under a little bit longer so you think about dying. Uh, and then the, the, the coming out is like rise, like coming out of the grave. And Peter says it is through the resurrection of Jesus that we can now make an appeal to God for a good conscience. That the resurrection is like our ark. It demonstrates that we have passed safely through the wrath of God, just like Noah and his family were bought safely through the water of God's wrath. It is again for Peter, the resurrection that proves that God's wrath has been satisfied, that our debt has been paid and that the payment was accepted by God, that our conscience has been cleared, that our sins have been forgiven. Now, we often think of forgiveness and we we sometimes tie it only to the cross, but Paul and Peter tie it to the resurrection. Why? Because without the resurrection, the cross would be meaningless, we'd have no reason to think that the cross worked. I mean, he's being crucified next to a couple other guys. It's not just crucifixion that buys our salvation. How do we know that the the crucifixion is indeed working? How do we know that the crucifixion is indeed giving us the light of hope of the forgiveness of our sins? It's the resurrection that proves that all that Christ said the cross was going to do, it actually did. As Peter would say, it, it, it proves that our ark didn't sink in the storms. Uh, it proves that our faith has made it through the wrath of God and is indeed genuine. The resurrection, so the resurrection proves that our sins are actually forgiven, proves the truthfulness of scripture, proves that our faith is right, proves that our sins are indeed forgiven. All of this found in the resurrection of Christ, all of this it, coming on this day. This is why we make a, a big deal about this day and, and, and hopefully continue to make a big deal about it throughout throughout the year but there's more peter tells us that the resurrection proves our hope of eternal life so not only does it prove that our faith is real and that uh, the, the bad is gone our sins are forgiven it also proves that you hoping that you're going to live forever that that's not a crazy hope first corinthians 15 18 and 19 and if christ has not been raised your faith is futile you're still in your sins then those who, are, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So two things would be true, he says, without the resurrection. One, the dead are just dead. Without the resurrection, the dead are just dead. Two, our hope in a life to come would be a sad hope. So both of those things would be true if the resurrection did not happen, which means those things are not true because the resurrection did indeed happen. Now, why can Paul say this? Why can he say that, that we would still just be dead and that our hope would be, the, you know, the sad sort of lie? Because he says it is the resurrection that gives us the hope of a life to come. If, if Jesus just dies, if he just dies, if that's the end of his story, just death, then that's the end of our story too. If, there, if there's no resurrection morning, if there's no empty tomb, then everyone we've ever loved is just dead. Dead in their sins. And the hope that we had for a life to come, the Bible says, would just be a sad hope. We'd be, of, of all people on the earth, the most to be pitied. But what are the next words in verse 20? So that's verses 18 and 19. If Christ is still in the tomb, then everyone is just dead and they're just dead. And, and, and we are living a sad life. Where we're pretending that we're going to do this. And then one day, you know, everything's going to be okay. If Christ is not raised, but what does verse 20 say? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, so those things would be true without the resurrection, but they aren't true. They're not true. The dead are not just dead. We are not silly for hoping in eternal life. Why? Because Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. Which means our loved ones are not just dead in their sins. Which means that our hope is not a vain one. It is not a sad, most pitied life. Because there is a life to come. How do you know? The resurrection. The resurrection shows me. Christ has, in fact, risen from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So I don't fear death. I don't have to. Well, I know there's an eternal life to come. How? How do you know that? Because Christ is not in the tomb. Peter talks about how the resurrection is this birthplace of hope for the believer in 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5. through He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. How? We've been saved to this hope that is alive in us. Well, how? We who were dead in our trespasses and sins, we who were headed to hell, how do we have a living hope? What does he say? It's through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we've been born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Christ. It is the resurrection of Christ. It is this day and all the days that flow out of this day that give us hope in the life to come. The hope of an inheritance that is, as he says, imperishable, undefiled unfading kept in heaven for us guarded by the power of god we're not foolishly hoping for that day the bible says we're being guarded for that day i'm not hoping for life to come it doesn't rest on my hope for that day here peter says god is guarding you until that day god how do you know eternal life's going to come how do you know you're going to live forever not just because i believe it hard enough Not just because my hope is going to be right. I'm going to taste eternal life. How? Because God is guarding me for that day by his power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is guarding his children until they taste that eternal inheritance. Guarding you for that last day that will be your forever day. That's how we, this is why resurrection matters. The resurrection matters because it's teaching us that this eternal life that we've hoped, we talk about and and, and, and people might mock, even though I know they know it. I'm like, Ecclesiastes telling me God has written eternity on, on your heart. And you're like, you don't know that. And I say, yes, I do. And then they always say, you're just trying to mansplain. Uh, and I say, no, I'm trying to son of mansplain. Uh, and then, you know, and they don't, they don't really like that either. I really thought that would get them and they would break down, but it didn't work. Uh, multiple times the the bible tells us the hope of eternal life is tied to the resurrection of christ so this day as we celebrate the resurrection is a day that doesn't just celebrate the new life in christ but that that is the first fruits of our forever life to come so for example romans eight eleven. if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 6.14 And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. How do we know that death is not the end? How do we know that this life that we're living is not the end? This day. Resurrection. The resurrection morning is the reason we know death is not the end. It was not the end for him. And because it was not the end for him, it is not the end for us. And the Bible tells us that's just not some some future hope. It also confirms in us that this, that this resurrection is not something we just look forward to. It is something that is happening in us, that has happened to us, and is happening. That's why it is a living hope. There, a, the, so, so, so the resurrection, it's going it's to prove uh, the, the, our hope in eternal life. But, and that, that hope begins even now, that our, ho- that our hearts are alive now that our once dead hearts have been raised with Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in verse five, it doesn't say that God will make us alive but rather that he did make us alive, that he did raise us with Christ. Well, how can he say that? Because I wasn't dead. I wasn't even born yet. How can he say that? Because God is doing these things in our hearts. Colossians chapter 2, 12 and 13, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead, Were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Again, what does Paul say? Not that we will be alive someday, but that if God has saved us, we're alive today. In Romans 6, Paul, talking about how our old hearts were slaves to sin, says that we were dead in our sins, but now with our new hearts that Christ's death and his resurrection have made us alive. Not, not that we will be alive, but that we are alive. So Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves... Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 13. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. All of these speak of of our new life, as a present reality that we are already tasting of the resurrection that is going to come. Not just not in our, in our flesh, but in our hearts so that our hope in a new life is not just, is not just about then, but is confirmed now that that what Jesus did isn't just going to hold promise for me one day that I know my dead body will raise. Well, how do I know that he has risen from the grave and you see that resurrection already at work in your heart now. You who were once dead to the things of God are now alive to them. You care about them. You hate your sin and you love him. That does not happen unless God hasn't just raised your flesh but raised your heart. So we've we've looked at all the ways that the resurrection, at at least in in 1 Corinthians 15, all the ways that the resurrection is supposed to bolster our faith. How, How the resurrection is proof, is confirmation of all that we believe, all that we hope, that's why we cherish this day. We love this day. We celebrate this day. Why? Because it means so much from from what scripture says to our faith, to our sin, to our hope of eternal life. All of these things tied up in this day. Which is why the Bible says, which is why Paul says in the very next verses, what should we then do with this day? This day should motivate us. It should motivate us. That's what Paul's going to finish with in 1 Corinthians 15. He moves from how it should strengthen us to how it should motivate us. The, the, the truthfulness of the resurrection is not just supposed to make it so that we can go to sleep without worrying. It's not just supposed to make it so we don't feel dumb when people in the world say, I can't believe you. You believe that a guy died and he rose from the dead. That's, oh, I can't believe that you think you're going to live forever. Oh, I can't believe you think your sins are forgiven. You know, I mean, all of those things. It's not supposed to make us be like, oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm Okay. It's not just supposed to do that. It's meant to make it so that we live like those who have been made alive. Like we live with the same confidence as if we, like Lazarus, walked out of the tomb. Because Christ hasn't just raised himself. In raising himself, those first fruits, he has arisen your heart as well. And we should have that, that same confidence because of what Christ has done. Because the resurrection is real and you know it, you know the tomb is empty and you see your hearts alive for God, that should motivate you. Just as confidently as if, as if he said, you know, hey, you know, Jerry, come forth. Right? Chris, come forth. Because that's what God has done in our hearts through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, in other words, in light of all that, in light of all the things that he's just said, the resurrection proves, all of those things, which Paul said it much more succinctly than I did, all of those things, in light of that, therefore, my beloved brothers, what should you do? Be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Yes. Knowing that the resurrection proves our faith should encourage us, but it should also motivate us. It should strengthen our faith so that we're steadfast. We're immovable. The the, the resurrection should be an anchor to our souls in what I believe. And I know what I believe is true and right because the tomb is empty. But, But not just steadfast in our convictions. We should be steadfast in our actions. Isn't that what it says in verse 58? We should be steadfast, immovable, and what? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. Why? Because we know. We know our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yes, the resurrection changed your future. And You should look at this day and celebrate what this means for you from this day going forward. And as you die and as your friends die and all of it, you can, you can know that this day means so much. But it's also meant to change not just your future, it's meant to change your now. It's meant to change your today. So so how are we supposed to celebrate Easter? How are we supposed to celebrate the resurrection, Paul says? Not just with a special Sunday. That's not how we show our appreciation for the resurrection. Not just with a special Sunday. We celebrate it with our lives. Not with a special day, but with every day. Every day, abounding in the work of the Lord. Being a people who are abounding in those things, in our abounding in our new lives because we know that our labor is not in vain. And that's the funny thing about this day. That's the funny thing about the resurrection and Resurrection Sunday. That if the resurrection doesn't change our every day, then we're showing that this day in the end isn't actually all that special to us after all. The resurrection is certainly a day that we should rejoice in. It's a day that proves we're not crazy. It's a, the Bible, Christianity, it confirms this to be a historical reality. Of course, the tomb is not empty, and that means something for us. But it's not just an amazing event. It's not just an event packed with significance. I mean, it's not just because it proves the Bible is real. It proves our faith is real. It proves our sins are forgiven. It proves our hope of eternal life. It proves that we're really already alive. If those things are true, how can that not motivate us to action? I mean, if any one of those things were true because of the resurrection, if one of those things were true, that would be enough to say, well, I'm motivated to great great action. Why? Because the resurrection proves my faith is real. I'm motivated to great action. Why? Because the resurrection showed me the Bible's true. I mean, one of those things being true would be enough to make our celebration of today flow into every day of our lives. To make the holiness that we're wanting to have today, and and we're like, you know, kids, you better act right. I mean, you don't want to, today's today is resurre- today's Easter, today's resurrection day. You better, uh, you know, like. Uh, Why? Because this is a special day. Like, this is a special day. This is truly a great day. And we want to show our kids the greatness of this day? And that we're not just playing a one-day game out of the year? Then what we do with this day should change every day of our life. If anything about this day is true, if anything about this day is true, it will change every day of our life. And if it does not, if it does not change us, then our children will not be fooled. This world will not be fooled. The fool will be us. Because God would have done all of this through the resurrection of Christ. And we're living as if none of it happened. So how do we respond? How do we respond? What does it look like to always be abounding in the word of the Lord? I want to close this with this passage. In Luke 24, 50 through 53. Listen to how they responded to the resurrection. And let's just mirror them. Let's just mirror the disciples. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What should be said about your life? Because of the resurrection, what should be said about us? If someone were were writing about how the resurrection of Christ changed you, about if they were looking at like this day and what this day meant for you and how the resurrection of Christ changed your life, what would they say? What would they say about, you know, the resurrection was so important that it caused his, not just his day to be like this, but his life looked like this every day, every day because of Christ. Because they knew the resurrection was real, because he knew it, because she knew it, they started living like this. They were abounding in the works of the Lord because they knew their labor was not in vain. So their life was filled with honoring the Lord, not just on one day, but it flowed every day. Would they be able to talk about how the work of the Lord abounded in your life? Would they be able to say, as with these disciples, that you were always worshiping the Lord? Or would they have to say, well, there was this one special Sunday that they really liked? Or would they say, oh, they, they, they you know, that one day they really tried to live for God's glory. They really tried. One day out of the year, they really tried to live for the Lord. None of that is what scripture cries out for. The resurrection wants your life. Let's not just celebrate the resurrection. The Bible calls us to live it. Let's pray. Just as we bow our heads, just take a moment to respond to the all the texts that we've read. I mean, we've, we've looked at a lot of them. Many with the hope that you'll go back and chew on some of these and read them again and again. We just want to know, why are we here? Why are we here this day? What are we doing here? What's this day even mean? Why is it so important? Why is it so special? Well, this is what the Bible says. We've read what God has to say about this day. And he says, if this day is special to you, it won't just change your today. It'll change every day for you. It'll change every day. And so just look at your life and say, you know, am I responding to this day the way it, I'm really supposed to? And I'm just, just seeing, you know, the special outfits we wear, the special dinners we have, or the, we're all getting together, whatever. That's not what makes this day special. This not what God calls for. Are we, Is this day causing us to abound in the works of God for our life to be filled with them? Not just our Sundays filled with them, Not even just one Sunday filled with them, but our lives filled with living for the one who has brought us life. And we know he has. We know he has. We know our faith is real. We know we have a hope of eternal life. We know our sins are forgiven. How? Because the tomb is empty and that changes everything. Is it changing everything for you? Father, we come today and we confess, Lord, that our lives in many ways are not abounding as they should. Father, that, that if we truly believed everything we say we believe about this day, then there would not be a square inch of our life where we were not, like the disciples, continually blessing you. Continue; They were continually in the temple blessing you. That we were not continually blessing you in our lives. With our lives, which are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we were not taking our lives and living for your glory. Our hearts are resurrected hearts living for the one who has raised us from the dead and will raise us from the dead, who has given us eternal life, will give us eternal life that, Father, we rejoice that we can never die. If that was true, then, Father, how do we not live every moment for you? How do we not live every moment for your glory? How do we just sit here and enjoy our faith and enjoy our hope and enjoy our forgiveness without laying every single day in in, in praise and blessing for you? Instead, we live for ourselves. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not abounding in the thing that we should abound in. And we come here today and we rejoice, Father. We rejoice. We praise your name for what you've done. But we also confess that our lives are not the commitment to you that they should be if even one ounce of what the resurrection did were true. Father, help us to be a people continually blessing you, continually living for you. From the time we we get home to the time on our porches, the time with our family, every moment. Because, Because Christ is not in the tomb. Because he is alive. And I am too. Because of him, Father. Let that hope motivate everything that we do. That we might live for your glory and your praise. Not just today, but every day, Father. Every day. Into eternity. Every moment, every thought, every word. Captured by the resurrection. Tied to being alive rather than dead. We will not let anything dead touch our lips. We will not let anything dead reside in our thoughts. We will kill them before they kill us. We will hate them. Why? Because we are alive. So, Father, help us to live for your glory. Help us to live like those who've been made alive and who are being guarded for that day. We thank you, Father, for your grace, for your mercy, for your justice, and for your discipline. Father, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to abound in every good work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.